listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the ACB Advocacy Update. And this is Clark Rockfall, ACB's Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs. Sad to say I am flying solo as host today. As we stated on last week's podcast, Claire Stanley has flown the coop. She's no longer staff, although she is and will remain to be an engaged member of ACB. So, Claire, we're all wishing you well on your new career adventure at the National Disability Rights Network. Although I am solo hosting this podcast, I am in good company. And today we will be discussing the ACB accomplishments throughout 2020. I'm joined by President Dan Spoon. Dan, how are you doing today? Really good, Clark. Glad to be here. Happy holidays. Same to you, as well as ACB Executive Director Eric Bridges. Hello. Hey, Clark. I'll be your Robin. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. I'm upgraded to Batman. I always thought of Claire as Batman, so that's... uh, Nice promotion to me. I'll add that to my personal uh, end-of-year accomplishments. Yeah, get that tool belt out. That's right. Super cool. And, of course, we want to thank everyone to listening out there in ACB Radio Land, as well as folks listening, downloading, subscribing, and via their favorite podcast player. And for the last time here in 2020, thank you to Sprint T-Mobile for underwriting Uh, This and all other ACB podcasts. So, Clark, just before we get into it, I've listened to the last couple of advocacy update podcasts by just telling Alexa to play the ACB advocacy update podcast. Hey, now. And it pops right on. Fresh new skills. How do you like that? Yeah. I will be giving that a try here soon. I will have to add that to the pitch. That's good info. Speaking of accomplishments, we should add that to the list. But Dan, here we are, end of a very interesting year, one that most had not foreseen. I know last year when we did a similar podcast at the end of 2019, we were talking about entering uh, the new year with 2020 vision. Uh, Was 2020 as you envisioned, Dan? Uh, Clark, I have to tell you that uh, no, it was uh, you know, uh, it was not exactly what I expected it to be when the year began. Uh, it was, uh, you know, who knew uh, what was going to befall us uh, going into the uh, early part of 2020. You know, we started out on a pretty much normal note by having our D.C. leadership conference and our legislative seminar and the walk on uh, – Capitol Hill with all of our members visiting our representatives and talking about our advocacy imperatives. And so, uh, you know, February, kind of January and February, were pretty much fairly normal. And feels uh, like two years ago. Dan. It does. It feels so long ago, doesn't it? It really does. And, and, and Dan, in that normal environment, we actually had a, a pretty momentous occurrence for the ACB organization as well. We passed our code of conduct at those we, February meetings. We most certainly did. And it really was, uh, you know, it was good to, to kind of, uh, we had a, a really good uh, committee who came together after our, our board, uh, excuse me, our convention last year where uh, we made the necessary changes to our constitution and bylaws to move forward and approve a code of conduct. And I really was uh, proud of everybody coming together. We had quite a diverse uh, group of individuals who all 
uh, participated in an ad hoc uh, committee to really finalize our code of conduct and present it to the board of directors for ratification. And uh, I'm very proud of that document. It really adhered to our five uh, core values, which we take very seriously here at ACB of integrity and honesty, respect, collaboration, flexibility, and initiative. And I really felt like it embodied those core values and really took them a step further to really ensure that we have a safe, respectful, welcoming environment for our members, friends, vendors, partners, anyone connected with the American Council of the Blind. And so uh, this is a very much a, a living document inside of our organization. You see it on our uh, – it's, of course, uh, prominent on our website. It's on our uh, – referenced on our community events calendar uh, it just uh, you will find it in almost all kind of key documents that we use to, uh, you know, to manage this organization. So I think that was a really important step forward, and I'm very proud of the organization uh, for taking that step. But Eric, I know you had to feel the same way. I did. This was a process for us, and um, fr- from my perspective, uh, you know, in managing the day-to-day operation of, of the organization, I – I want to be I want us as an organization to be as welcoming as we can be and providing a, a a a safe and respectful place for folks to be willing to share their thoughts, to listen, to learn, to build relationships with one another. And it and it you know, it applies uh as Dan said to really anybody that comes into contact with us through any of our events. So it, it's not just for in person events. That's right. It's not just for conventions. It's it's in any way that folks engage the American Council of the Blind, the code of conduct uh, is, you know, to be adhered to in all of those uh, participatory events. So that kind of got us started. And I thought we had a really good um, uh, president's meeting and legislative seminar. We had uh, good discussions. Uh, we had what Joe from uh, from uh, mm-hmm. Apple uh, in the in the in the um, uh, program C yeah, came and spoke there. to us. Yeah, okay. that was really a pretty uh, cool thing. He's now co-producer on C, which is great. Yeah, yep. a, a blind a blind man who's who's out there waving the flag and doing the right thing for our community. And so uh, it was really a, really a good um, a good DC leadership conference. And then who knew what Eric? Three weeks later, the whole world kind of. Uh, uh, changed uh, with the whole advent of the COVID-19 virus, and, and really uh, ACB had to look at doing business in a different way. I know it really first hit uh, the staff uh, with having to work from uh, remote locations. Yeah, I remember that it was, ironically, it was Friday, March 13th. Mm-hmm. It was our last day in the office, and uh, <laughs> Claire and I let our guide dogs run up and down the hall like maniacs. I don't know if you're here for that, Clark, but it was hilarious. Little did we know that that would be the last time we would see one another. I mean, you could sort of, you could tell that the handwriting was on the wall, that there was going to be a stay in place uh, order coming down at some point, because that was the day that the national emergency was announced by the president. And so, you know, the Commonwealth of Virginia, announced their stay stay in place or shelter in place over that weekend. And um, I called each one of the staff and 
not just here, but also in Minneapolis. And uh, that Monday, we began working remotely and would work exclusively remotely for the next three plus months. I am, you know, I'm so pleased that our technology worked. Uh, you know, whether it was our laptops, Office 365, which, you know, we would work remotely anyway from time to time before the pandemic, mm-hmm. but also Ring Central, which is our VOIP phone service. Um, all of us had the app downloaded onto our phones and enabled us to take office calls on our cell phones, which made us seem like we weren't even out of the office. Uh, and then also uh, the utilization of Zoom, as well as Ring Central calls as well. So, and boy, did we learn how to use Zoom, right, Clark? And um, yeah, Eric, it wasn't just coincidental that we had uh, this technology infrastructure in place. It was oh. you know, a decision come to by ACB leadership as well as the board that we needed to upgrade our infrastructure. Absolutely. This has been going on for a couple of years. And actually, one of the things that prompted the movement to Ring Central was the work that we did with Cisco to make the, the world's first completely accessible desk phone, right? And, um, you know, it's a VOIP-based desk phone. And uh, Cisco worked with Ring Central, and, and in turn, they worked with us to figure out how to implement all of this so that the desk phone could be fully accessible to you and I and our other blind colleagues. All of the stuff that, that sort of goes along with that as we were, you know, looking at how we were going to engage our members. Uh, Cindy Hollis, our, our membership services coordinator, came to me and said, hey, you know, I want to try a couple of uh, community calls just to see how people are doing. I want to see how we can engage everybody while they're in really self-isolation. And so we, we started using Zoom a little bit for that. We were still, I think at that time, using a little bit of free conference call, which uh, was, was an absolute disaster. At that it time. really was. It was such a disaster those first couple of weeks. You couldn't get through. The calls were dropping. Only half the people were able to participate. It was... Yeah. It was really a, it was a failing system at that point in time. Yeah, yeah. To to a certain degree, it sort of forced our hand organizationally in the beginning to move more towards Zoom and or the Ring Central video calls, audio calls. And the nice thing about for, from a staff standpoint is Ring Central is really the Zoom platform. Mm-hmm. They did a deal, mm-hmm. so um, you know we were as staff using Zoom, using Ring Central, uh, we began eventually to use a little bit of Microsoft Teams. But really, it was Zoom for our community. And so the community got sort of a crash course in learning of, of what Zoom was and its, its power and really its complete and total accessibility uh, on both sides. So being able to manage and administer a call uh, from facilitating and hosting to just being a a participant and just dialing in either through the one touch mobile or just hitting the link and zooming in. Dan, how much do you think the comfort and familiarity with zoom over the, the growing number of community events and the level of engagement that we saw in the community events, how much do you think that played into uh, the organization and the board's decision to host a virtual conference and convention this year? 
Yeah, I think it really what what we what we realized. Well, maybe not real quickly, but fairly quickly. So if you think about it, you know, um, uh, Eric and, and the staff, you all had to go remote on on March sixteenth, and literally two weeks later, on March thirtieth, we had already through our new set of steering committees with our convention steering committee had a couple of of meetings with board members and members of the convention team and and the committees that supported and very quickly realized that we needed to uh, move forward uh, with a virtual convention we weren't going to be able to do a convention in person it just didn't feel like there was any way that by july 3rd we were going to be in a safe environment for our membership and our partners and so Within two weeks there, uh, we had a recommendation out of the steering committee. We had an executive committee meeting. And then on March 30th, we had a full board meeting, uh, you know, hosted by Zoom. So we were all, many people were still calling in because they hadn't, you know, gotten to the point yet where they felt comfortable using Zoom on either their their smartphones or or their computers. Uh, But you know, the board went around and, and very strongly and unanimously uh, moved for us to go to a virtual convention. And, uh, you know, that required work with the hotel and uh, to work out the contracts. And and then we had a lot of discussion about, okay, we're going to a virtual convention. How do we, how do we, how do we pull this off? Do we try to do something much smaller and less? I mean, we've never done this before. Uh, we thought that that Zoom had the capability, and we had the the tremendous asset of ACB Radio, where we uh, have had for the last few years seven uh, streams uh, of internet radio, where we could offer different types of programming, you know, to our listeners. And so, I think it was the combination of, of Zoom along with our ACB Radio. And really the willingness of our organization to really step up and apply ourselves to something we had never done before. And so within three months, and I think you're right, Clark, a lot of that, it all built on each other, right? So we were all learning Zoom. We were all participating in these community events and getting more familiar with it. And uh, our confidence was growing through you know, March and April and May and June. And then at the same time, we really had an amazing team of uh, ACB radio folks that guided us through a lot of this with uh, Debbie Hazelton and Jason Castingway, uh, Jeff Bishop, Deb Cook-Lewis, uh, Rick Morin, and from the staff, uh, Eric will talk about this later, I'm sure, but a person we just hired at, uh, and brought in on March 1st when all this happened, Tony Stevens, who was our development director, but had a background in communications and broadcasting. And so they became the core of a team that really started meeting every week with all kinds of work assignments in between. Every Wednesday really, morning at nine. Every Wednesday morning at nine, right, Eric? And yep. and uh, and it was it was really, I think, just a an amazing effort you know we we decided we were going for it all the way you know nobody could tell acb that we couldn't pull this off and so our uh, our members and friends really dug in and you know we ended up with an eight-day uh, convention uh with uh you know uh, was it 108 breakout sessions general sessions every day a full uh audio described tour channel uh and exhibit channel 
uh, gosh, over 200 and what, 50 hours of original content. We were on the air from uh, for at least 12 hours every day. Insane. Uh, yeah, <laughs> general sessions, primetime shows. Yeah. And and what was amazing about it, it all kind of, I'd love to get your thoughts, but to me, it kind of all came together where you could participate through a Zoom session for part of it and then listen on your Echo device, uh, you know, or, or take advantage of your smartphone while you wanted to go take a walk around the neighborhood, uh, you know, use your Victor stream. There were just call in with phone numbers. There were so many different ways you could access the content. One of my favorite things about this, Dan, is that we were, you know, we were challenging our members in the broader community to learn something new. But at the same mm-hmm. time, we were also meeting people where they were. So if you were not comfortable or you did not have internet access, you can mm-hmm. dial in by phone. If you didn't have uh, a, an accessible computer, with a screen reader or a smartphone, then you could use voice control and join with an Amazon Echo device. So Mm -hmm. folks had multiple opportunities and ways to consume this content. And and that didn't end when the convention ended, right? No. and, and, And what we found through the convention was that, you know, the, the, logistics of going to an in-person convention, uh, you know, the cost, the time out of your schedule, uh, just, you know, your time commitment to your family, your parents, your children, all those were very limiting factors uh, for people to actually attend in person. But by being able to go in a virtual environment, we truly doubled the number of people that participated in our convention in 2020. That, uh, we, registered. Yeah. that registered and who knows how many we had that didn't register. Yeah. 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 And so it was uh, what we, I think we really touched a nerve here of people in our community that really wanted to participate and wanted to be involved uh, in a way they had not been involved in years. And, and so I think we brought in lots of new members and we re-engaged old members. It's just between the combination of the community events uh, and the convention, I, I really believe we have a level of engagement we have not had in a long time. And Dan, during the conference and convention, uh, a couple things. First, a lot of that content has been archived as podcasts. So it's, it's kind of the gift that keeps on giving that folks are still able to access it. But we also did, and certainly more so than in previous years, work with video as well. Yes, and video was a huge hit, especially for our low vision community and our sighted friends and partners. It, it just, I think, added a new level of sophistication to our convention and we were able to stream uh, on YouTube and on Facebook. And again, a lot of rich content that we have been able to repurpose uh, throughout the year. And I think it has really um, attracted, again, a new, a new population of individuals to the American Council of the Blind. 
and we got really positive feedback. We did a post-convention survey, and for those with low vision and sight, they they love the video. We're not going to go back. We're going to continue to offer video and a virtual solution going forward. I, at least as long as I'm president, and I I know Eric, you've heard the same message loud and clear. And, that and, we we've, and we've done some really cool video since the convention as well. And I would just encourage folks if you haven't, please. Go to our uh, go to our YouTube channel and subscribe. It's American Council of the Blind, and we, uh, gosh, probably now we're in a cadence of maybe a couple times a month putting uh, new videos up now. So, check us out. And Eric, building upon that, so we're talking about a blindness organization hosting video conferences and online virtual meetings. <clears throat> for people who are blind with content created by people who are blind. And these meetings are being facilitated by people who are blind. All of this would not have been possible, say, 10 years ago when ACB, along with other organizations, strongly advocated and were successful in passing the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act, the CVAA. No, it's it's very true. Uh, the the two way uh, video communication component has been is it's really been huge, and Zoom has been a a, a viable option for our community now for a few years, but it hasn't it hasn't really popped much like the rest of that industry hasn't literally popped until this year, <laughs> where we've you know quite frankly we've we've leaned on it very hard uh in order to you know get get the good word out about what it is we're up to and engage folks but yeah the cvaa uh played played a a significant role in assuring that both sides of that equation the user side as well as the management and administration side being able to set something up independently that oftentimes that has been the one area and i know clark you and Dan have experienced this when you're, you know, in a job and you're needing to, to put together a meeting, um, being able, honestly, you know, to, to share documents virtually, all this stuff has always been like, well, you're going to have to have your sighted assistant do this. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, and frankly, we could not have experienced the level of success this year. Um, had it not been accessible on the back end, because I don't know that we could find enough sighted volunteers to help us with all of the events that we've been putting on. And frankly, uh, while we have a lot of sighted members and other sighted allies, we are of the blind. We are the American Council of the Blind. And we're doing this for, you know, you know it's by blind people for blind people. And, um, it, it's it's been incredibly empowering to to watch all this as it has evolved and matured over the year, and it's going to continue to evolve even more into 2021. It's going to be fascinating to see where some of this stuff takes us. I know we'll get to that later, but um, you know, I, I've been so proud to, to watch you know the work of of Cindy Hollis and uh, the team of folks that she has trained to help facilitate. Uh, these community events to ensure that they're, you know, that that they are, you know, safe, respectful, and welcoming. 
environments for folks to come into. So um, if I could, just real quick, there was one other key point that I wanted to raise, and at least from my end, has been a, a, a rock for me, an initiative, and that is our IT infrastructure. And we kind of touched on some of it, but in <clears throat> really from March until quite literally days before the convention, ACB had been working to migrate our digital assets into into the cloud and for the purposes of, of this, the Microsoft Azure cloud. Um, IT is a, is a component in most nonprofits that gets uh, attention last or the least amount of attention. And at times in our, <clears throat> pardon me, in our history, I, I feel like that's been the case within ACB as well. Uh, we were presented with an opportunity to, uh, by, you know, our, our partner, Microsoft, to move our, our digital assets. And what do I mean by that? ACB.org and ACBradio.org into the cloud uh, through a, a nonprofit uh, philanthropy for good uh, program within Microsoft. And uh, so we got some assistance in doing that. Uh, Jeff Bishop, who's a member of our board of directors and chairs our information access committee, was a, just a huge uh, help in, in all of that, as well as Jason Castingue. But we were able to successfully move our, our uh, sites into the cloud from what was a very unstable space uh, into an enterprise level uh, internet environment that really, I don't think we could have achieved what we did in particular with the streams, Dan, mm -hmm. had we been in that existing state. Uh, I, I don't think so. We were we were we were kind of struggling with you know, uh, you know, twine and ribbon and and and, and whatever to kind of keep things going. So now you feel like we are in a much more stable environment. Yeah. And yeah. Eric, you touched on the the community events and how we were working to make them a safe, respectful, and welcoming environment. Uh, Dan, that draws me back to one of the resolutions. Uh, on a similar topic from this year, dealing with racial and social justice um, and the work that ACB is doing in that regard. Can you touch on that a little bit, please? Sure. You know, in the in the middle of uh, the pandemic and, and all that we had going on, of course, we had the whole incident with uh, George Floyd uh, and uh, outcry across the country there for, for social justice very, very well uh, well, well deserved and anticipated, and and ACB uh, really worked uh, in conjunction with our Multicultural Affairs Committee uh, to kind of look not only externally and have a statement of solidarity, but also internally. And where do we have systemic bias, and where do we need to do some education? And uh, the resolution that passed at uh, last year's convention. Uh, really is is helping take us to those next steps. So uh, we've had several uh, uh, Saturday afternoon chats with our membership, uh, with a uh, very uh, you know uh, esteemed professional that really has walked us through trying to understand race and diversity 
uh, and accepting people uh, where they're at and understanding each of ours kind of just innate uh, biases that we, we grow up with. So those have been really, uh, I think, well attended and well received. Uh, we also um, uh, hosted, uh, I think, an advocacy update podcast with two of our members to share their stories, as well as multiple community calls, our Tuesday topics with Paul Edwards focused on it, as well as some sessions with our Blind Pride International Group. And so um, I think we've uh, you know, begun that journey. Uh, it will uh, continue. We have um, – training set up for this February in 2021 at our next board meeting uh, to do diversity and inclusion training with Jane, as well as we're going to have multicultural affairs uh, give a presentation at our president's meeting. But this is a, this is a journey and something that we, we are going to continue to, to stress inside of the American Council of the Blind for both our staff, our leadership, and our members. And Dan, this is really a journey to embrace, engage, and empower all members of ACB as well as the broader community. Uh, and one of my favorite parts about that resolution was the call for ACB to conduct a census so that we have a, a firm understanding of where we are as an organization and understand where we need to improve, how we can improve in recruitment, retention of members, as well as mentoring and opportunities for members of all backgrounds to play a role in providing a direction for this organization. Yes, yes, Clark. I think it's really important that we gather the right demographic data. If, if you don't establish a baseline of where you are right now with your organization, it's hard to measure where, the, where you are making improvements or not making improvements. And so it's really the, the census data and the base demographic data that gives you the starting point uh, of which to measure yourself. And so uh, we are doing a couple of things in that area. One, again, um, with Tony Stevens and Nancy Becker and our Multicultural Affairs Committee, we have worked to put together a survey uh, to get people's initial feelings uh, around these issues with inside of ACB, as well as uh, a capturing uh, basic demographic data. And then we are also going to, for the first time in our membership certification process, add additional fields where we gather information such, such as uh, ethnicity and these type of uh, factors. So we can really get an understanding. When people ask us the question, you know, how much of your uh, membership uh, are people of color? We, we can't answer that question right now because we've never get, gathered that data. And so I really think we are, are putting the right foundations in place uh, to move forward. Eric, I'm noticing a few themes running through 2020. Um, a lot of it has to do with technology and a lot of it has to do with embracing our members in the community and meeting them where they are. That, that's probably why our first resolution from this summer uh, 
ACB Resolution 2020-01 dealt with the need for more digital access and inclusion. Yeah, this year has has taught us a lot about uh, where we've come. I think we've relied heavily on certain technologies, just frankly, because they work. But it's also shown us that there are gaps that still Mm -hmm. exist, very real gaps uh, in technology, in particular aspects of the healthcare space um, Mm -hmm. that are not where they need to be so so that our community can manage independently manage our own health and frankly in a lot of cases take back our health uh you know the prevalence of diabetes is is enormous um within within our community it's what the leading cause of blindness in working age uh adults and just around the world like one out of every 10 people living in the world right now has diabetes so you know a significant percentage of folks with that that are diagnosed with diabetes uh, run the very real risk of of vision loss at some point if if not treated and managed. So, w- one area that uh, Tony Stevens and Clark and I have have been working on is this this concept of health and wellness and getting up and getting moving, which speaks to I think some of some of the challenges that have really become <clears throat> I would say more apparent during the pandemic they, they were issues that we that we knew about before the pandemic but people not being either as independent as they want to be or need to be getting out of their homes just doing something exercising, walking down the sidewalk, having the environment in, in which they live be accessible to them and not be a barrier for their full participation in society. And so there's, when you live a sedentary lifestyle, you run the risk of all sorts of health complications, including diabetes. Yeah. Hey, go ahead, Dan. Yeah. And I was kind of to, to build on what Eric was saying there. I, I think like again, unintended consequences, but I think there's been a lot of of opportunity that has come about because of COVID nineteen. I know, even personally, I've had to attend several, you know, virtual medical appointments, uh, and and what they very quickly realized is that that these applications are not accessible for somebody who's blind or visually impaired. And I think right now I had a, an interesting conversation with my cardiologist the other day that said, please let me know. Let me know how this equipment works for you. Let me know if it's accessible or not. I, I, you know, I want to know and I want to and see what we can do to make it better. And so I think one thing we've got, you know, make lemon out of lemonade sometimes, but I think, Clark, I'd love to get your thoughts on accessible voting and several of these advocacy issues that I really believe we've got everybody's attention right now because of COVID-19. Not that anybody wanted that to happen, but it really is an opportunity for us to to make some significant uh, changes. So one one last thing before we transition to Clark and let him... Speak yeah, the last twenty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Clark hasn't done anything this I'm year. Just, I don't know. Not a thing. 
he's just slacking off down the down the hall from us. Um, the this health and wellness campaign we really kicked off a couple weeks ago during the SciTech Global Conference, uh, which is a, a conference that was uh, set up by the Vista Center in conjunction with TechCrunch um, to to really look at uh, technology within the blind blind and low vision community. And uh, we were very uh, honored that they reached out to us to to do a breakout session. And so uh, Clark and I and Tony Stevens and uh, a representative from Peloton Interactive as well as Ira and then two of our members, uh, Jeff Bishop and, and Brian Charlson, um, spoke uh, on the panel about, you know, our work with the private sector um, in you know, and, and collaborating to ensure that, you know, the user interface uh, on the Peloton bike is now accessible. And that's directly due to the American Council of the Blind and the work that Clark uh, has been active in, in working with them over, over this past year. Um, you know, Ira and all of the navigational uh, input and, and assistance Ira and Ira agents can provide as well as their assistance through TeamViewer and being able to have uh, access to one's health data that may be in print or in an inaccessible uh, portal. So stuff like that. But, you know, really what this was about was telling stories about how folks have been able to, to take back their health, the technologies that they use, but also Dan and Clark, the gaps that still exist, as I said before. And so in 2021, you will hear more from the American Council of the Blind regarding Get Up and Get Moving, which is our campaign, and ways that folks can engage, uh, kind of plug in, because it's a it's a multi-layered campaign that we're going to be rolling out. And I'm really excited for for uh, our community to to be able to to see uh, more of what we what we announce uh, the first and second quarter of, of next year. We've got a lot of uh, corporate partners that are excited to to plug in to find ways to to work with us and, and provide visibility to you know the need to to get up and get moving. That's right, Eric. And I think with the community events. We've seen a, a thirst for engagement, a thirst for uh, mental and emotional health in support. And fortunately, that's been an avenue where a lot of individuals uh, have been able to remain connected and build community and friendships uh, throughout ACB. But we've also seen that as a platform for health and wellness as well. Uh, Dan, your wife, Leslie, is a guru in this regard, running yoga sessions, resistance training, and what a dedicated group of individuals she has showing up every week to these classes because folks do feel isolated. They feel like they don't have the outlets um, or the, the knowledge about how they can be active and independent as someone who's blind or experiencing vision loss. So as Eric stated this year, we have had um, some success in this arena with the private sector, again, with Peloton becoming the first truly accessible piece of exercise equipment that somebody who's blind can independently launch and control a screen reader 
to navigate menus and receive uh, real-time feedback about their workout and data from the class in which they are participating. And we'll continue to work with them to expand that across all product lines and add new features. Um, so stay tuned for more to come on that. But as Eric said, at Site Tech Global, we had a an, a, an agent from Ira because I can talk. And that Ira's participation is really twofold. It's look at this great tool that technology is enabling, but also when you hear the stories about what people use Ira for, uh, reading prescription labels or accessing the screens of medical equipment or their diabetes testing and monitoring equipment or their insulin pump. It, it really makes you stop and think, why is it necessary to use a third-party service? Why is accessibility not a consideration from the beginning? And where's the, where's the equity, right? The cost, yeah. you know, the, the iPhone and the Apple Watch are amazing, and I own them, and I rely mm-hmm. heavily upon them. Mm-hmm. But, Clark, they are expensive. They are. And mm-hmm. not only are they expensive, but they take – you know, a, a moderate level of technical understanding yes. to be able to use. Um, so how can we make access to healthcare? Like you were talking about, Dan, with mm-hmm. telehealth portals. We had some excess expanding the use of telehealth this year, making it possible for folks to get uh, three months worth of a prescription instead of one month so they could limit their exposure and the number of times they go to the pharmacy and the doctor's office. Uh, but how can we expand that access even more in a way that, again, it meets people where they are? Um, and, and for these services, technology is no longer the barrier. It, it's really – it's not It's not technology. It's really not cost. It, it truly is, I think, education and, and, and getting uh, companies to kind of – do the right thing, you know, make it equitable, as Eric said, and, and ethically do the right thing to protect people's health. It's just, it's, it's time has come. We, we should really, this is our year coming up to really bring strong, strong attention to this. And because it's, it is so inequitable and it's causing people's health and lives. It's, it's serious stuff. And there are so many parallels between the access barriers and the readily available solutions, right? Like Peloton showed it's possible. So the fact that it yep. can't be done, the argument that it can't be done, that goes out the window. It was just the same as when Apple introduced voiceover on the iPhone. You can't tell me it's impossible. It's already been done. What we need are partners and collaboration to say, okay, it can be done. How are we going to do it? Right. And join us and make it possible. And it's, this isn't just the healthcare space, but Dan, like you mentioned earlier, we've seen this uh, transcend to voting. Uh, before the pandemic, in a lot of places, absentee voting or remote absentee voting meant voting by mail with a printed paper ballot, a system inherently inaccessible to people who are blind or experiencing vision loss. 
And through the work of ACB, our cross-disability partners, our affiliates, and our members. And a lot of your leadership, by the way. Well, thank you. We've seen an an explosion in the amount of accessible absentee voting um, nationwide. You know, more than 26 states offering some level of accessible absentee voting. Five of those states offering fully electronic, meaning electronic ballot delivery, someone able to electronically using their accessible assistive technology. I completed my ballot on my iPhone with voiceover. How cool is that? And then in, in again, in five states, being able to electronically return your ballot so that it could then be printed, it can be part of the paper record, and it can be cast and counted. Um, so that is certainly an area that ACB and our members and affiliates are, are still hungry for more. And we will still be working to push for equity in voting as well. Dan, we've also seen this grow in the entertainment and information access space. You know, the, the ACB audio description project has had a, a very successful year increasing the availability of audio description, uh, most notably by the announcement of the uh, collaborative arrangement between ACB and Warner Media regarding HBO Max. That's right. So uh, you know, uh, through the efforts of uh, Kim, Char- Kim and Brian Charlson and our Bay State affiliate working with the American Council of the Blind, uh, we were able to reach an agreement with uh, with HBO, where we will now. Over the next three years, see over 6,000 hours of original content and existing uh, content uh, be able to be provided with audio description. And so this is along with an accessible uh, website and application where people can easily access their, their titles. And so... Uh, again, a, a really a big step forward and continues the path that ACB has been going on for multiple years now where we have, uh, you know, right now uh, agreements with Netflix and Amazon and Apple and uh, many of our uh, the new streaming services that are providing uh, thousands of hours of audio described content, including a hundred percent of their new original content. And so um, we please go to acb.org slash ADP where you can get a complete listing of all the audio described titles that we are aware of. It's a very exhaustive list with over uh, 4,500 hours uh, or over 4,500 titles with just uh, many of them series, so just countless hours of audio description. And it is, uh, uh, you know, I think ACB is the premier organization when it comes to audio description. We are really looked at as the organization uh, that, um, that leads in this particular area. In fact, several of our largest partners reference acb.org slash ADP uh, in their information guides and their frequently asked questions as the place to go and receive uh, the latest listings of audio described titles. Absolutely. So, and engineers at little companies like Apple that work on iTunes, uh, Netflix, Amazon, go and, and use and bookmark our ADP page when they're looking for content uh, 
to acquire that that is described or conversely if something hasn't been described um, and they're wanting to expand their library so those companies but also obviously comcast charter and others so it's been um you know the the description project has been a, a huge success i i will say i think it it has been um, fortuitous for us, though, to to have led along with other organizations in the the CVAA. And Eric, you mentioned Comcast. Uh, talk about leadership. Comcast is doing a lot of great work, especially when it comes to live audio description. So this year we had the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade on NBC provided with live audio description, as well as great partners like Procter & Gamble providing audio description for their commercials and advertisements. Yeah, it's been, um, it's been tremendous. Um, And if I could, um, you know, all of this audio description, the, the, the 10th anniversary of the CVAA, um, we were so Clark, it was so cool to be able to host uh, a Facebook Live yeah. in October, uh, where Senator Ed Markey, who uh, was the champion of the of the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act that we lovingly call the CVAA, um, he participated um, and and spoke uh, with our folks, and we also had a panel of of advocates uh, as well as individuals that worked on Capitol Hill, uh, and assisted in seeing the CVAA through the legislative process. Uh, but, but really the, the cherry on top of, of this delicious <laughs> chocolate sundae was that we, uh, we reached out to Stevie wonder, uh, and his people and, uh, Stevie provided about a three and a half minute video that we showed that's by the way, it's on our YouTube channel as well as the, the full Facebook Live is available on our YouTube channel as well. But really, it was Stevie sort of recounting, you know, his career in music and, uh, you know, access to technology and what that has meant to him personally, but also in his career. And uh, he gave us a shout out in his remarks as well as Apple. And uh, it was just tremendous. And we understand that there's more to be done when it comes to accessible media That's why and we're contents. Here. <laughs> yep. It's, mm-hmm. it's top security yeah. for, for the advocacy <laughs> TV. That's um, right. And we know that there's certainly more to be done in the health and wellness space uh, with health access and equity. And that's why we, we will all be getting up and getting moving here into 2021. Um, so I know we have the virtual legislative seminar and DC leadership meetings coming up in February and some of our tracks of programming uh, in terms of advocacy for that event will include health and wellness, uh, digital access and inclusion, transportation, voting, and rehabilitation. Um, so that's, that's certainly what has me going here, Dan, as we uh, sign off and say, Smell you later to 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, the old smell you later with and we, uh, we greener man. pastures ahead in 2021. But Dan, what has you excited for 2021? Well, so many things. Again, I think the continued growth of our of our community events. Uh, you know, looking forward to even a better. Uh, 
2021 virtual convention this July uh, and a continued, um, I think, professionalization of our organization. You know, this year uh, we took on a new uh, methodology for our organization called the Entrepreneurial Operating System or EOS, also known as Traction. And really, it's given us a, a kind of a structured approach uh, where you have your strategic plan, your uh, evaluation of your people with your organizational chart and your accountability chart, your analysis of a measurement tool with your data, uh, with the ability to really evaluate your issues and solve problems through uh, a, an IDS process, they call it, which is identify, discuss, and solve uh, through mapping your core processes for your organization and ultimately feeding all that back to attraction feedback loop. And we're in the first year of a two-year process there. Uh, we're now rolling this out to our nine steering committees that we've established inside of ACB over the last year, where we have both a staff lead and a member lead in the areas of convention, advocacy, information referral and peer support, membership services, the audio description project, which we talked about earlier, scholarships and awards, public awareness, management and administration, and then last but not least, fundraising and development. So those are kind of become the nine steering committees inside of ACB where we have committee chair organized under each of those nine steering committees along with four or five members of our ACB board of directors and uh, leads from our ACB staff. And so it's really given us a way to have two-way communications from our uh, all of our committees up through our staff and including our board. I think it has given us uh, a good foundation and baseline to work from. The other thing that really happened at the end of 2019, we had our first uh, ACB advisory board meeting where we asked folks, uh, you know, business leaders uh, to give of their time and talent and become advisors for the American Council of the Blind. Eric, if you would like to maybe just share a little bit with uh, our community of the six members that make up our advisory council and some of their contributions for this year. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we've, we've got the six members, uh, Bill Reeder, who's a professor uh, at, at George Mason University and has a very rich background in resource development. Uh, Aaron Patera, who's the CEO of FMP Consulting, uh, which is a management consulting firm. Lee Nasahi, who's CEO of the Vision Serve Alliance, which is an umbrella association of uh, blindness organizations in the U.S. Uh, Matt Ader, who's a vice president of uh, business development at Vespero. Uh, Matt Hanley, who's a, uh, a, a founding partner of uh, Hanley, Farah, and Anderson, uh, which is a, a law firm in Washington. And then Brett Humphrey, who's a, uh, a developer at, at Microsoft. And so they brought a lot of uh, expertise, but but most importantly, a, a lot of passion, and, and they're all they're all in on ACB, and they want to help make us better, and they really have. Uh, they've made us uh, think differently. Uh, you know, they are themselves outsiders, so they provide different 
uh, different perspective uh, or perspectives than than what we have internally. I, I would just say, in, in closing, um, I, I'd like to thank the board for their faith in uh, in me and and my team um, in uh, adopting a, a budget for 2021, uh, where we will be able to go out and recruit uh, a couple of additional uh, team members. Uh, one to to manage communications and another to provide us with some much needed uh, administrative assistance here in the office. So Dan, thank you for your support um, as, as well as the board is uh, all, all all that the board did was approve a lot more work for me (laughs) in 2021, but it's (laughs) really what, what this means is that we're going to be able to do more for our members. And that's, it's, we, we need to continue to always strive to do more. Yeah, I really look at 2021 as just continuing that momentum, uh, the, the really uh, the, the passion and the engagement, uh, you know, that I've seen within our within our membership and friends. Uh, I just think, uh, you know, the sky's the limit. Uh, we're going to continue to grow, uh, develop new partners, uh, continue to, you know, enhance our our community events. Uh, and continue to to really uh, move uh, towards a real accountability culture that I think everybody can be so proud of. You know, uh, this year when Eric and I sat down and, and and put together our list of accomplishments, you can spend time in the weeds day to day. You know, just trying to solve problems. But when you take a a step back and you realize all that ACB was able to do this year in the middle of a pandemic it's it's really impressive and it, it, it is a it's a compliment to our ACB staff and contractors and also to our members who have really risen to the challenge and I think want ACB to be the best and the true chief influencer in the blind and visually impaired community and certainly the work and accomplishments of ACB here throughout 2020 could not be done without the time and talent and support of our members, our friends, and our partners. So certainly thank you to everyone listening, and we look forward to new and exciting challenges and opportunities ahead in 2021. Eric and Dan, thank you so much for your time and your talents and for joining me on the advocacy update here today. Enjoyed it, Clark. This was fun. Absolutely. Hey, if folks are interested in end-of-year uh, organizations to to contribute to, if ACB is an organization that you're interested in learning more about, please visit us at acb.org. And uh, if you're interested in contributing before the end of the year, please visit acb.org slash donate. It, it takes, uh, takes funds to continue the mission, and uh, any any little bit helps. So thank you. And as we always say, as Claire Stanley has said on this podcast for two years, keep keep advocating. advocating. Thanks for listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. You can reach us by emailing advocacy at acb.org. The ACB Advocacy Update is a production of the American Council of the Blind in Alexandria, Virginia. To learn more about ACB, visit us online at www.acb.org.